Glad that you could be here with us. I want to thank uh, David for the song selection this morning. I think it goes really well with what we're going to be talking about this morning, and that's the idea that sin is a liar. Sin is a liar, and that is, I, I came up with this idea really, it was kind of presented to me in an article that I read a couple of months back. You know, we were in quarantine, so we were reading all the time, but I, I was reading these, this article, and, and it really stuck out to me. Sin is a liar. Sin is a liar. Sin is deceitful in its nature. And we're gonna talk a lot about that. We're gonna talk a lot about Satan and how he uses his devices to deceive us. And hopefully this morning, we will all leave here with a better understanding that we do not have to submit to that sin because we have God and we have a savior, Jesus Christ. So when I think of sin, I think of Satan and I think of how he's constantly trying to drag us into sin, always trying to pull us away from God. And when I think of that, I think of 1 Peter 5 and 8, when Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The lot, he's a lion. He's looking for ways to pick us out, to find our weaknesses. And you think about a lion, you think about watching the National Geographic or whatever you watch these days. We don't have cable, so I don't know what the channel's called anymore. But when you think about that, you think about a lion who stalks his prey. Well, it's not gonna pick the strongest. It's not gonna pick those at their healthiest out of the herd. No, it's gonna pick the weakest. It's gonna pick the young. It's gonna pick the old. It's gonna pick those that have been hurt in some form or fashion because he wants that easy kill. And I think about us and our sin, our temptation. That's our weakness. And if Satan can use his lies to exploit that weakness, He's gonna do it. He's gonna do whatever he can to pull us away from God. And we think about what Peter tells him. He says, be sober, be vigilant. And that word vigilant is the action or state of keeping careful watch for possible danger or difficulties. So we as Christians should constantly be looking for those difficulties, those, that possible danger that's out there because Satan is a liar. That's what Jesus calls him in John chapter eight and verse 44. He says, for he is a liar and the father of it. He's the father of lies. And he's gonna look for our weaknesses. And when he finds that weakness, he's gonna pounce on it. And we've gotta be sober. We've gotta be vigilant. We've gotta be ready and watch for that danger. You know, when I think about temptation, I think about when I was a kid. Now, if you were anything like me, you rode your bike all the time. That's all we did. We rode our bike all over the neighborhood. And it was fun. We had a good time, but eventually we got bored with that. So we got this brilliant idea over and over to build a ramp. So we'd go out behind the house and we'd find one or two cinder blocks and we'd stack them up and we'd put a, the rottenest piece of plywood that we could find because that's all that was available. But hey, it was good enough. We put it on top and then one or two times, this is what we'd look like, at least in our heads. That was us. We were flipping, we were doing all kinds of stuff. But about the third time, that became us. We became that person. That was tempting to us. We want, I don't know if we wanted to impress the neighborhood girls. I don't know if it was just trying to be cool. I don't know what it was. But for some reason, we thought that that was a good idea. And it wasn't. We knew that it could be harmful. We knew that we could get hurt. And I'm gonna tell you, if you were the, the third person and that thing broke on you, you were happy that you weren't the one learning the lesson firsthand. 
You were happy you were the one spitting out the gravel or hopefully the grass if you were smart enough. Unfortunately, we weren't. But that temptation, it, it drug us in. It, we wanted to do that. And sin is the same way. Sin presents itself as this pleasure, something that, that we, we need to have in our lives. And we forget the harm and potential problems that it can cause and it leads us to a lot of trouble. No matter how hard we try, we're always gonna have temptation in our lives. We're always gonna face some sort of temptation. I remember when I was a kid, probably back in those same days, thinking how easy it was gonna be when I got older to fight temptation. That was honestly a thought that I had in my head. It'd be so much easier when I'm grown and more mature. Now I'm gonna tell you today, I have, I have no desire to go build a ramp and jump my bike off of it. That is not a temptation I face today. That's not something I wanna do. But that void that was left when that temptation was gone left another, another void for a whole bunch of other temptations in my life that are much harder for me to face sometimes. And that's how sin is. It's that temptation, it, it it gets to us, and eventually we just want to give in. And when I think about temptation, I think of Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41. As Jesus is going back and forth, he's praying, he's asking, he, he says, I don't want to go through this if I don't have to, but it's your will. He's about to be crucified. He's about to die on the cross. He's about to sacrifice himself for us. And as he goes back, he finds his disciples asleep. And what he says is, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's something Jesus understood. Jesus understood what he was about to face and what was he doing. He was watching, he was praying, he was ready. But he understood that they didn't quite understand what was about to happen. His disciples didn't quite get it. So he tells them, watch and pray. Isn't that the same idea as being sober and being vigilant, being ready? He understood that they were about to face a temptation larger than they had ever faced in their lives. And we see how that turned out. They weren't ready. They weren't ready to face that temptation. Peter alone denied Christ three times. Cursed, did things that he would have never done before. How many times have we been in that situation because of sin? participating in things that we never would have thought we would be in. That's Satan deceiving us. That's getting us to take hold of that bait, as we're gonna talk about here in a minute. The fact is, is we suffer, we, we deal with temptation, and we have a hard time dealing with it because our flesh. And that's what Jesus tells him, your flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. And we think about our sin and we think, oh, I can deal with that on my own. And we can't because our flesh is weak. And I think of, of scripture like Ephesians chapter four and similar ones to it where it says to put off your old self. Why would we put off our old self? Because our old self was driven by our flesh. The decisions that we were made are made based on our flesh and the weakness of it. He says, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. 
when it all comes down to it, for the rest of our mortal lives, temptation is gonna be something that we deal with because our flesh is weak and Satan understands that weakness. So we've gotta be ready, we've gotta be vigilant, we've gotta be sober, we've gotta watch and we've gotta pray to make sure that sin doesn't take us back to that place that we once were. And that's exactly what Satan does. He tries to deceive us. He tries to get us in a place of weakness so that we're willing to walk away ourselves, so that we're willing to step away and step back into that old life, step back into being into that flesh and following that fleshly, those fleshly desires. In 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, Paul here, he says, lest Satan get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What I wanna notice about this verse here right now, we'll get back into this verse a little bit more a little bit later, but what he says here is that Satan has devices. He has ways that he is looking to get us to sin, to pull us into sin, to get us to fall to that temptation. That's what he does. He's deceitful, he's a liar, and he's gonna do whatever he can to get us to take part in that sin that we know is wrong, that we know is harmful, that we know will lead to pain. But how many times do we do it anyway? And we think about his devices, his tool, his biggest tool is that sin. Hebrews chapter three and verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is inherently deceitful. It makes us see something about that sin that it may be there, but it over-exaggerates it. Maybe like the pleasure that we're gonna talk about here in a minute. How good that pleasure is gonna be, but it doesn't tell us about all the negative that comes with it. And that's what we need to look out for and understand that sin is a liar. So as we go on in this lesson this morning and we talk about how sin is a liar and how Satan lies to us, there are three ways that I wanna just mention this morning that Satan uses, three devices that he uses. And I'm sure there are many more, but three that I wanna focus on in getting us to fall back into that place that we once were, go back to that old man, to put the old self on. And the first is, is he downplays the sin. He makes that sin seem not quite as bad as it actually is. Sometimes he makes it okay altogether. You know, I think about one lie that Satan told. And that's in Genesis chapter three when he approached Adam and Eve. You see, God had told them, you can eat from any tree in the garden. It doesn't matter which tree, as long as you don't eat from the tree in the midst of the garden. That one's off limits. You can't eat of that tree. Well, Satan comes along and he says, ye shall not surely die. Well, God had just told them that they would. So he throws that one little word in. He twists what God says and he deceives them. Now, I don't wanna talk a lot about that sin, but what I do wanna look at here is the reaction to that sin. The reaction that Adam and Eve had to that sin. In Genesis chapter three and verse 11, and I want us to just picture this for just a second. I want us to picture Adam and Eve standing in front of God and God's, God's talking to them. They're listening to God and God says, how do you know you're naked? Did you eat of that tree? God knew. God knew what had happened. Well he, looked, well, he asked Adam to respond and Adam responds and he says, the woman whom thou gavest to me, 
to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Can you imagine the look on Eve's face when he threw her under the bus? Can you imagine that? I could just see her cutting her eyes at him. You'll pay for that later. I could just see it. But then it goes to her and she says, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Do you see what they're doing here? They're downplaying their guilt. They're downplaying the sin. Essentially what they're saying is, I did it. And Adam says, but it's, it's your fault, God, for giving me that woman. And Eve said it was the serpent's fault. And they're downplaying their own guilt. They're taking away from their own responsibility in the sin that they committed. How often do we see that today? How often do we see people placing the guilt somewhere else when it was their responsibility? They're responsible for that sin. And in the end, we are gonna be responsible for that sin. And that's just one way we downplay or Satan helps us downplay that sin in our life. I read another article and there were six different ways that this article talked about and I thought they were pretty good. First, he said, the first one they talked about was sometimes we defend our sin. If we can make it seem okay, then it kind of takes the guilt away from us we kind of can justify our own actions. And one way that I see our society doing that is abortion. Abortion is kind of a hot button with me. If, if you can't tell, I, I mention it quite a bit. I don't like it. I think it's murder. That's a human life. And yet society is defending that by saying, oh, it's not a human life. It's a cluster of cells. It doesn't matter we're not hurting anything. It's a sin. It's a sin. And we've got we've to be diligent against that, that type of attitude where we will defend our sins to justify ourselves and to make our guilt go away. Another one he talks about is pretending. Pretending like we don't have an issue. You know, one thing I hear in, in like the 12-step problem I've always heard my, life, my whole life is that the first step to getting through a sin to getting over an addiction is to admit that you have an issue with that. Admit you have that problem. And how many times do we fail to admit that we have a problem with sin in our lives? We pretend like it's not a big deal. We pretend like we could quit anytime. Sometimes we just hide it, hoping that nobody finds out. But the thing that we forget about is that God already knows. Sometimes we wanna blame other people like Adam and Eve did so that we don't have to accept the full responsibility or guilt of that sin. Sometimes we minimize it by saying, well, I sin, but I'm not as bad as that person over there. Sometimes we just exaggerate how good we are and say, well, surely God's gonna overlook my sin because of all the good things I've done. But here's what I want us to understand about downplaying our sin. We can downplay it all we want, we can try to get rid of the guilt and responsibility of our own sin, but in the end, God sees it as sin. Luke chapter 16 and verse 14, it says, And the Pharisees also who were covetous, covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, 
But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. It doesn't matter what society tells us. It doesn't matter what our family tells us. It doesn't matter what we tell ourselves. If it's a sin, God sees it as sin, and we better be careful with it. If not, we're going we're gonna to end up with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. Another way that he, that, he, that he deceives us with sin is by hiding the danger of that sin, by making it not look as dangerous as it actually is. If you're a hunter or you've, I've never, I've never built a snare. If you can, you might not be able to see that. It's kind of hard to see, which I guess is kind of the point. I mean, if you're trying to catch a rabbit, you don't want him to see it. But what you see is a snare here. And this is, this is a snare that's obviously, let's just say we're trying to catch a rabbit. Well, obviously this rabbit is coming back and forth on this trail because the grass is dead. We see it's created a path and that rabbit's running through and he comes around that corner and it's kind of blends in with the, with the branches of the tree. Well, before that rabbit knows it, He's so caught up in that snare that he'll never get out. His life is over. And sin is very similar to this. And it's interesting to me how sin presents itself to us on an everyday basis. Sin will tell us, or sin is portrayed as fun. It's portrayed as normal. It's even portrayed as harmless in society in the entertainment that we take part in, in every aspect of our lives, we can look and sin is portrayed in this way, almost every aspect. I would say, hopefully we get a little relief from that from here while we're here with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the fact is, is sin is portrayed this way. And I really think this is why the word of God characterizes sin like it does. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, talking about the qualities of, of elders, he says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. It's a device. He's setting traps for us. He's looking for our weaknesses. He's waiting to pounce. What is that snare? That snare is the sin itself. If you look at Proverbs 5 and 22, it says, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. That sin, when he can get us to take the bait, could lead to a lot of trouble. But the fact is, is he hides that danger. He hides it in plain sight, just like that snare we looked at. Think about our society today. Think about what goes on in society today and how normalized sin is in our society. It's hidden in plain sight. And many times we don't even try to look for it. Proverbs 1 and verse 7, it says, For in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird. I tell you, I haven't done a lot of bird catching in my life, and I didn't know that you could actually put a net up, and, but apparently you can but the premise of this is that we're not going to spread that net to catch that bird when it's there, when it witnesses us putting that, that out there. No, we're going to wait, and we're not going to give it any kind of warning, and we're going to put that net up, and eventually that bird is going to fly into it and get caught. And that's what Satan's plan is with us. He's, he's not going to put big warning signs with sin. 
He's going to hide the dangers. I think of uh, those medication commercials. You have people frolicking around and riding on their bikes and having a grand old time, and everything's great until you hear the side effects. Satan doesn't put side effects on sin. He shows you the pleasure and he leaves it at that. And too many times we're willing to take the bait. You know, I think of Satan and I think of the things he whispers in our ears. He says stuff like, oh, it's gonna be fun. Don't worry about the consequences. That sin's gonna be great. Or if you follow God's word, you're gonna be bored your whole life. We've all heard that, haven't we? Our friends say those type of things. Even to the point where society will call you a bigot if you don't agree with certain sins. But it's even in the religious world. When we look at grace and we look at the idea of grace, too many times grace is taken to the point that it has given us a license to sin. I found this quote. It says, if you do not sin, Jesus died for nothing. Essentially what that's saying is Jesus died so you can sin, to give you the freedom to sin. And that is not what he died for. He died because of our sins. He died so that we could be forgiven of those sins and that we can live a life free from those sins. Paul says in Romans chapter six and verse one, where he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul says our job is to get away from sin. Grace doesn't give us a license to sin. But I feel that that's kind of what we see sometimes in the religious world. And we've got to be careful about that. Because Satan is working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to get us to fall to our weaknesses. Another thing he does is he exaggerates the pleasure. He makes the pleasure seem a lot better than it actually is. When I think of this, I think of Achan. And a couple of uh, years ago, I remember Danny kind of talked about Achan. I don't remember, I don't think it was a lesson on Achan. I think it was more like a book study. But he talked about Achan. And I think this really fits with what we're talking about this morning. You see, the children of Israel were commanded by Joshua at this time. And they were told by God to go destroy, utterly destroy Jericho and take nothing from it. He said, if you do take something, if somebody goes against that word, my word, then what's gonna happen is I'm gonna make you liable for destruction and I'm gonna bring trouble. So they destroy Jericho, everything seems good. Joshua commands 3,000 men to go down to Ai to fight this battle that they should have won. And I believe the ESV puts it as they were routed. 36 innocent men died and Joshua's thinking, what is going on here? Well, eventually they figure it out and they understand somebody didn't follow God's word. Somebody sinned. Somebody took some stuff from Jericho that they shouldn't have. So eventually they, they go through all the people and Achan comes and he gives his confession. And we see that confession in Joshua chapter seven, verse 21. He says, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of, uh, of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them and behold, they are hidden the earth in the midst of the tent and the silver under it. 
They didn't want to take his word for it, I guess, because Joshua sends out his men. They go, they find this, and you know what they do? They do what God tells them to do. Achan, his family, his livestock, all of his goods, and all of these things that he coveted were taken outside the city. They were stoned. Everything was burned. And I have to ask, and I have to wonder, if you were to be able to talk to Achan, do you think that the pleasure that he could not resist was worth the pain? Probably not. I want to think about Achan's sin real quick and who it affected. First of all, it affected the entire nation of Israel. Their conquest came to a standstill. No more. 36 innocent men died because of his actions. His family was stoned because of his actions. His relationship with God was tarnished. And we think of our sin and we think of when we willingly and openly and freely participate in sin and try to justify it and try to make it okay. Think of who that affects. How many families do we see that are torn apart because one spouse decided to go seek pleasure elsewhere? How many churches have we seen split because of pride? Sin is dangerous. But when we look at sin, sometimes all we see is the potential pleasure that comes with it. And we've got to be careful because there's a lot of negative consequences that also come with that sin. In Galatians chapter six and verse seven, he says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. When we think about what that's saying, we see that if we're, if we're willing to follow the flesh, if we're willing to live a life of sin, the end is death. That's not what Satan tells us. He tells us it's just that immediate pleasure, that good feeling. And let's be honest, if sin didn't feel good, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't be tempted to do it. But that's gonna lead to death. And we're gonna talk about that here in a second because the good thing about what we're talking about this morning is that we don't have to live in sin. We're not stuck with our sin because he gives us a second option there. We can, we can live by God, be obedient to him, and we're gonna reap life everlasting. And that's why I don't wanna end this sermon here. I wanna go on and I wanna just say that we are not ignorant. We are not ignorant of the devices of Satan. Just like in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, speaking about forgiveness and an issue they were having with forgiveness, forgiveness at the church of Corinth, he says, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Yes, he has devices, but we don't have to be ignorant of them. Well, how can we know what's a lie and what's the truth? How can we know right from wrong? God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, 21, it says, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. While Satan is the father of lies and sin is deceitful, we can find the truth in the word of God. The question is, are we looking there for it? Are we looking for it? Are we being vigilant? Are we being sober? Are we watching? Are we praying? Are we preparing ourselves by getting in the word of God and seeing what God has to say about sin? I hope we are. I hope we're getting ready for that. So first of all, I just wanna just kind of look 
at the contrast of what we talked about when it comes to Satan. You see, when Satan downplays a sin and sometimes even calls it okay, God tells us exactly what sin is. In 1 John 3 and 4, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So sin is when we transgress God's word. Sin is when we do what God has told us not to do or don't do what God has told us to do. It's lawlessness. It's not letting him guide us. It's not being obedient to his word. That's sin. And that's exposed through the word of God. There's no question about right or wrong. We know right from wrong. Some people may say, well, there's some gray area in there. Usually that gray area is us trying to justify our own sins. We've got to be careful. James 1 and 14, he says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's the gray area, isn't it? That's the gray area. But the blessing comes through his word in that he exposes the lies. He exposes the sin. Psalm 32 and 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in, my, in the way which, I, which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. He will guide us. He will direct us, but we have to let him. We have to give him that trust and put our trust in him and his word. Another way that the word of God exposes sin is that it reveals the danger. Where sin will tell us that we have this, this, this pleasure that we can't resist, we know that that's short-lived and we know sorrow and pain is gonna come after that. The word of God tells us that there is danger in sin. In Isaiah 57, verse 20, he says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Have you ever went through a chaotic time in your life? I have. The majority of chaos in my life is brought about my willingness to sin. Not always. Sometimes other people's sin can cause chaos in our lives, can't it? But sin will never bring peace. Like we talked about, sin will never bring peace in a family. It's just gonna bring chaos. It's gonna tear it apart. Sin will never bring peace in a church. It's gonna tear it apart. It's gonna cause chaos. Not only that, are we, we're not only not gonna be at peace, but we're also gonna be stuck. We're gonna get so far in if we allow it that we can't get out. John 8, John 8 34, he says, Jesus answered them, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant to sin. The more and more we, we commit sin, the deeper we're digging that hole, the harder it is to get out. But finally, scripture tells us that that sin will lead to death. Romans 6 and verse 16 I know ye not that to whom ye yield, that ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Again, we have a choice. We have a choice to live in sin and to let it rule our hearts and to follow the flesh, and that's gonna lead to death. That's gonna lead to death but we also have a choice to be obedient to God, to be obedient to his word and have an everlasting life with him, to have peace in our lives, to not be held down by sin. Sin is dangerous and the word of God exposes that. It exposes that lie. And finally, the pleasure 
is redirected. Once again, we have that little bit of pleasure. That's, that's how sin works. It entices you with the pleasure, but it's always short-lived. It never lasts. But that pleasure is redirected through God and through his word. First of all, I just think of, of several instances of pleasure, several ideas of how our pleasure is redirected when we become a Christian. First of all, we have brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's, that's family. That's the strongest relationships you'll ever have are the people who are sitting right here because we have that common bond of Christ, and there's nothing stronger than that. We have pleasure because we're free from our sin, because we have freedom through him. We have peace. We talked about the idea that sin can't, only leads to chaos. God and his word and obedience to it will lead to peace in our lives. We get pleasure through his word by understanding it more, by knowing what he did for us, by looking at the life that Jesus Christ lived and the death that he died and the wonderful examples of that. We gain pleasure through our worship to him. And finally, a hope of heaven. We gain pleasure in that idea of a hope of heaven. First Peter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved for you in heaven, in heaven for you. You see, while sin offers pleasure, it's not gonna last and it's gonna end in sorrow and pain. But through God and through obedience to him, we have an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's not gonna fade away, that's waiting on us. And those are the blessings that come through Jesus Christ. Those are the blessings that come through the grace that he has offered that we don't have to be servants of sin, that we don't have to be held down by that sin anymore because he's there. He, he died on the cross and made it possible to be free from that if we're willing to accept it. So I wanna close with Romans chapter six and verse 12 this morning. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. First of all, we have a choice. That's what that first line says. You have a choice. You don't have to let sin reign in your mortal body. We have an option, and that's through Christ. He says, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. The fact is what the law couldn't do for us, Jesus Christ did. He died on the cross. He willingly gave himself up so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could have freedom, so that we don't have to believe the lies and the deceitfulness of Satan and sin. We have a choice this morning, and I, I, I pray that each one of us will make that choice to serve God. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, you hear it, you believe it, you repent of your sins, you leave that old man, you confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God and the water is ready. You, you can be baptized and come in contact with his blood and be free from those sins. We can do that for you. 
Or maybe you're suffering in some way. Maybe you're dealing with sin. Maybe it's a struggle that you're dealing with and you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We can do that. We can pray for you. We can pray with you and God's gonna be willing to forgive that. If you need help, come to the front as we stand and sing this.